Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Pros. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Pros is made for people not hair and skin types, personalization is rooted in everything they do from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I use the review and refine feature and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Chapter four at Flourish and Blots. Life at the borough was as different as possible from life in Privet Drive. The Dursleys liked everything neat and ordered. The Weasleys' house burst with the strange and unexpected. I'm Casper Turkile. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. There were a few years when I was growing up in which finances were particularly tight in my family. And my parents really walked this amazing line looking back in which they were clear with my brothers and I about our budgetary constraints. And yet also anything that was a priority, we never went without. You know, whatever lessons we needed, books we needed, my parents always provided in abundance. And then when I was 16, I went to this posh, fancy private school where my brother and I were both on scholarship. And there was sort of an exciting night where I got invited out by a new group of friends that, you know, was up a social status from where I was. And I was really excited about it. And my parents, being supportive, encouraged this and gave me $40 to go out with this group of people. And I was pretty anxious about it because I knew $40 was a lot of money for my parents. And this was a group of people who wore designer clothes and went to Hawaii together for winter break. And so I... I knew that this was a financial stretch for me to go out with them. And I remember we all went for dinner, and I intentionally ordered the cheapest thing on the menu and just ordered water as everybody got appetizers and drinks and all the things. And then the bill came, and there was that awful moment, and it was just the first time I'd seen this dynamic happen where somebody announced, okay, it's $24 a person, like we were all just splitting the bill. And then we collect all the money, and sure enough, we're several dollars short. And I was so embarrassed as to how stressed I was by how expensive it was that I said, 
oh, well, here's the extra money. And I was the one who put in the extra money to make sure that the waiter got a good tip. And I just felt so much shame walking out of that restaurant. And then I went home that night and my dad very sweetly, you know, was like, did you have fun? Oh, do you have any change? And when my dad asked me that, I I was just mortified. I was mortified that I was so embarrassed that I had chipped in this extra money, that I hadn't stood up for myself, and that I was prioritizing looking cool over my parents' finances. And I just saw that all over this chapter of Harry Potter, the way that Harry's embarrassed that he has money and the Weasleys are embarrassed that they don't and the compromises they make. They make sure that all the kids have the books that they need, but the clothes aren't what matters as much and and how shame sort of begets more shame. And so I'm going to be interested to explore that topic in this week's chapter. Vanessa, thank you for sharing that story. I think I've definitely been in that situation where you've intentionally chosen something cheap and then someone says, oh, let's split it. And I'm like, no, no, we're not splitting it. But the social dynamics of that situation are just so awkward and you feel so small. And I just totally empathize with that situation. And I'm really excited to delve into this chapter because shame shows up in some unexpected places as well. So I think we're learning about characters in new ways because of this lens that we're bringing. So thank you for sharing. Are you now ready to experience shame in the 30-second recap challenge? I feel really comfortable with my performances so far this season. Yes, and I think that that's going to make the switch in the dynamic (laughs) that much harder for you. Bring it on. Three, two, one, go. Life at the Borough is so much better than Life at Privet Drive. Um, and then they get a letter from Hermione saying, hey, let's all meet at Diagon Alley. So they all meet at Diagon Alley. And Harry uses flu powder for the first time, and he fails miserably. So he ends up in Nocturne Alley. And he sees Draco interacting with his father, and he knows that Mr. Malfoy is trying to get rid of a bunch of illegal things. Then he finds his way back to Diagon Alley. They get money out of the Gringotts Bank. They all go and buy their their books. And they meet Professor Lockhart, and he's the worst. And everything is really expensive and hard. I think I did okay this week. I agree. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Casper, are you ready to put in a good fight? Yes. Okay. On your mark. Get set. Go. So Harry and the Weasleys are at the burrow and Ginny gets very excited to see him and puts her elbow in the butter. They go flu powder, flu powder, flu powder into Nocturne Alley. He's in a closet, which is going to come back in book six, FYI. Um, And then there's a scary hand that Draco's interested in. Lucius is ashamed of um, Draco. And then they walk out and Hagrid saves him, brings him back. And then money, um, muggle parents say hello. Uh, Gilroy Lockhart takes photo. Um, Malfoy teases him. And look, oh, he slips a bucket to the... Lucius does. Ginny's cauldron. (laughs) Okay, let's go over the point of the 30-second recap. It is for people who haven't read this in a few years to get a sense of where we are in the chapter. I feel like there were important moments that I highlighted. Absolutely. like vignettes. Yes. (laughs) Not a cohesive narrative so much. (laughs) But real joy and delight. And like an elbow in butter. Who cannot imagine that? It's perfect. Also, the the dropping the books in the cauldron thing was it's really important. Yeah. Vanessa, your story was about money and shame. And you pointed towards both Harry and the Weasleys in their different ways engaging that feeling in this chapter. Can you point us to where that really comes to life for you? 
Yes, I think that we see the Weasley shame immediately. As soon as they get the book list, one of the twins says, you know, the Lockhart books aren't going to be cheap. And then we follow them into Diagon Alley. And I actually think it's a moment of generosity that Mrs. Weasley treats Harry sort of as one of her own children and that she lets him see what's in the vault. But we see that they only have like one galleon and the rest are just silver sickles. And she has to empty out the whole lot just to get her kids ready for the school year. And, you know, and Ron is clearly ashamed of that. And yeah, where did you see it in this chapter? Yeah, it's just dotted all over the place, isn't it? Ron immediately stood out to me because he sent an owl to Hermione and Errol the owl comes back with a letter from Hermione, but he's really on his last wing, as it were. And, you know, Ron just says pathetic when he sees Errol. And you can you can just taste a little frustration, obviously with the owl, but with the fact that this is the owl he has, who is so old and not very useful anymore. And, but I also wanted to point to Percy, which is maybe an unusual place to look with the Weasleys, because he's not very present in this chapter, but you can tell that he is trying to distance himself from the Weasleys in one way or another. You know, we know that he's kind of up in his bedroom all summer and no one really knows what he's up to. And when they're in Flourish and Blots and they're looking at books, we see Percy reading Prefects Who Gained Power, which I think is just fabulous. And Ron comes up to him and, you know, engages him in conversation. And the text says, go away, Percy snapped. So he's, he's trying to distance himself from the rest of the family in a way that suggests to me that he's, I don't know, it feels like there's a little bit of shame there in some way, especially as he's kind of climbing the ladder. He's been made a prefect, etc. And I feel like he's ashamed in front of the Weasleys about his ambition. The Weasleys aren't embracing Percy, right? They're constantly mocking him for his ambition. Ron turns to Harry and says he's very ambitious, Percy, as if it's a bad thing to be ambitious. So I understand why Percy is ashamed of the Weasleys, but he's also ashamed of his ambition and the fact that he's different. He's trying to walk a really difficult line. I'm sort of the last person to empathize with Percy, but I feel for him in this moment. And I think for Percy, it's really about Arthur. Arthur has this role in the Ministry of Magic, and we know that Percy desperately wants to be Minister of Magic one day. And in some instances, Percy has good reason to be ashamed of his dad. You know, he starts a brawl in public with Lucius Malfoy. Fair enough, Lucius is aggravating. Fair enough, Lucius is a vile, vile human being. But, like, to start a fist fight in front of your children... I don't know. I can imagine being Percy and being like, Dad, this is so embarrassing. I don't want to be tainted by you in some way. Well, I think that there's something interesting in the Weasley dynamic. I obviously really admire the Weasleys and they love each other so much and they're always looking out for each other. But there is this strange dynamic where they're always mocking each other and and shaming each other to some extent, right? Mrs. Weasley is always concerned about everybody. And there are all these comments like, stop fussing, Molly. Everything is fine. Don't worry about it. There's like a lot of belittling. Ginny has this crush on Harry and they bring it up in front of her. They're like, oh, she's not usually this quiet. So I understand why Percy locks himself up in his room. You know, we find out why later he has this little secret and thinks that he would be mocked for this secret and just wants to keep things to himself. 
Vanessa, you said at the beginning in your story that there's this kind of cycle of shame. And I think the Weasleys actually really indicate how that happens because Arthur is himself being shamed by Lucius when they encounter one another in the bookshop. And so you can see how that that shaming comes in from the outside and then kind of gets replicated within the family system in some way. And for Arthur... He's challenged by Lucius about, you know, as a pure blood wizard, why would you be interested in the muggle world? You know, as a pure blood ancient wizard, why is your family financially insecure? His masculinity really is even being challenged, especially when the fight breaks out. And so there's a, I don't know, I just feel like that cycle of icky, shamey, horridbleness is coming in from the outside as much as it's being created in the family. What's so interesting about that, Casper, is that the thing that I think we maybe love the Weasleys the most for is also the thing that tips the shame, which is the fact that they are so progressive. They just accept people into their families. They don't care that Harry comes from this weird family. They don't care that Hermione is muggle-born. Arthur says to Lucius, you and I have a different idea of what makes for a good wizard, right? And so that sense of Pride and right and wrong is part of what we love so much about the Weasleys, but it's also what makes them vulnerable. The fact that they've made these choices is what has lost them some social status, which has lost them some financial status. And so I feel like when we make those big decisions, there is also the potential for that to become a weakness. So, for example, I'm very proud of the fact that I live with students and I love my life and I wouldn't trade it for the world until I meet a certain person and have to explain to them how I live. And then I'm like, oh, right. And I get not ashamed because I am proud of it, but it becomes this potential weakness because I realize that it's odd. And so I feel for Arthur in this moment of like, no, I'm proud of the fact that I don't care about wizard blood, but also that choice and that pride is a potential weakness. It's so interesting you describe it that way because Harry kind of has a similar experience on the opposite side of the coin in that he has a lot of money. Um, And when he meets the Weasleys and, and Hermione and Gringotts and he goes down to the vault with the Weasleys, they come to his vault and they open up the door and there is this pile of gleaming gold. And he chooses to kind of shield them from view of the gold and and fills his little bag as quickly as possible. And you can tell that he feels deeply uncomfortable with this wealth that he has, particularly in comparison with the Weasleys who are being so generous to him, who have so little. And I feel like the Weasleys wouldn't begrudge him that at all. all. They know that the reason he has this money is because his parents died. But it's his sweetness and his empathy that he is embarrassed about that money. And you can see straight afterwards, he, Hermione and Ron have an hour by themselves in Diagon Alley. And the first thing Harry does is buy them all three a huge ice cream each. And there's this impulse to share, to redistribute the wealth that he has. And even when he's in Flourish and Blots and they're going to buy their books for the school year and suddenly Gilderoy Lockhart is doing a book signing there and he, you know, gets in line and suddenly Lockhart sees him and says, oh, my God, Harry Potter, let's take a photo together and let me give you these free books. The first thing he does with those books is give them to Ginny. And you can just it's another act of generosity of trying to pass on, you know, this wealth that he has. I think that there are actually two kinds of shame that are being highlighted in that moment. Ooh. 
So one is the shame of wealth begetting more wealth. He's the last person who needs free books. He's the last person who needs free books, right? And when you have a lot of money, you can afford to buy things in bulk, which is cheaper, or you get free things because you have perk membership. It's cheaper in the world to be wealthy. And he's getting that in this moment and is ashamed of it. And the other shame that I think is really acute here is Harry's ashamed of the attention he's getting and the his fame in front of Ginny. And he's like, any gift to associated with my fame. Here, I don't want it. And he's embarrassed by the attention being drawn to him. And he's 12. Like, there's nothing worse than being the center of attention when you don't want to be when you're 12. So I feel like we see a lot of shame being expressed in this moment. I think it's really helpful to put those two moments next to each other, that kind of giving of the books in a very impulsive, quick way, and the intentionally going to buy an ice cream. Because even from the first time Harry and Ron meet on the train to Hogwarts in book one, Harry is very skillful at sharing in a way that doesn't feel like his largesse like he like he's not pitying not at all you know he's like hey ron like let me take one of your sandwiches and share this huge amount of sweets right it's an equal trade you know and here's the same thing it's not like he's buying ice creams just for the others and he's not going to have one no he wants an ice cream too and so it feels much more equal than maybe with these books where it's like he's holding something toxic and he just wants to get rid of it as quickly as possible and it's a sort of impulsive move that doesn't quite have that same feeling of generosity does that make sense yeah Yeah, but I think that what a wonderful thing if you come into some money that you're like, I feel icky about this, that you just sort of donate it and get rid of it. Harry's sort of repurposing that moment, but he's so astute about the positive opportunities to give back to the Weasleys without ever making it gross or negative. He doesn't offer to chip in for his own food. He accepts the generosity of them hosting him at the borough. He doesn't say, let me chip in for rent, right? Like, he really is managing this line so delicately. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Prose is made for people. 
not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. So I think we can also learn something about shame by seeing a character who has no shame, which is, for me, Gilderoy Lockhart. He's hiding something. People who are that confident are so deeply ashamed. I see shame all over this man, but Ah. you go ahead. I mean, he's definitely problematic, and we're going to learn more about that as we go. But I, I kind of admire his total unabashed confidence in a way. You know, he's choosing these beautiful robes of forget-me-not blue to match his eyes. He's assigning all his own books for the reading list in his class. And this moment where he sees Harry in line and he's like, oh, if I take a picture with this boy, I will get the front page of the newspaper. (laughs) He's basically like a social media selfie king in an age before selfies. And there's something in that total unashamed self-promotion, which I have to admire. So I'm struggling because I hate Gilderoy Lockhart. But I like your point. I do tend to like in people when they are unabashedly themselves, right? That's admirable. Who cares what other people think? There's no right way to be in the world. So just like go do you. Except I think that we see exactly the problem with the way that Gilderoy Lockhart feels no shame in that he pulls a child into a non-consensual photo. Harry doesn't sign a release. Like he's just taking advantage of an orphan child in this moment with no sensitivity as to what is actually going on. Be unashamed about who you are, but not to the point that you are, like, victimizing other people. And projecting your own desire. You know, fine, if he wants to be front page, fine. But, like, don't project that onto a 12-year-old orphan child. And anybody who is this unashamed is overcompensating. Like, I know that because we've read this before, we know what he's hiding, but... When I see somebody be that arrogant, my first thought is, what are you hiding? What are you embarrassed of? Because there's no reason to be a bull in a china shop. If you're comfortable with who you are and unabashed about who you are, then you're just trying to be yourself. You're not always performing. You're right. I think we have to separate the two qualities of Gilderoy here. The total freedom and lack of giving any two hoots about what people think and the way that actually we know there's something much darker going on underneath To be continued. Vanessa, before we move on, I want to point at the two instances where the word shame is actually in the text in this chapter. The first is when George is kind of joking about Percy being made a prefect and that, you know, he might follow in his brother's footsteps to become head boy. And he says, I don't think I could stand the shame, which I just think is hilarious. It is hilarious. And it's also, I think, a just great psychological move 
you know, Molly is not supportive of George and Fred's ambitions and the fact that they aren't ambitious in a scholastic way, the way that their older three brothers are. And he is just rejecting that shame that Molly is trying to project onto him and Fred and is like, ugh, well, it's a shame to be a kiss up. So he's really owning who he is and reappropriating that shame. He's got the best bit of Gilderoy in the sense of totally feeling fine about who he is and the gifts he has. Yeah. And I really do think that there's something to that in the fact that they are twins, the fact that they constantly have an ally in one another. They literally echo each other and they say the same things at the same time. And so they have that check in one another and that support. And I feel like that really has to be a part of why they are so wonderful. I love that. So the second time the word shame comes up is when Lucius and Draco Malfoy are in Borgen and Burks, which is the kind of shop full of evil, illegal, something, something things in Nocturne Alley. A necklace that kills people. A hand that will steal things. Really everyday objects everyone should have around the house. And Draco is kind of moaning about Harry Potter and why does everyone love him? And he says the teachers all have favorites, that Hermione Granger. And then his dad says... I would have thought you'd be ashamed that a girl of no wizarding family beat you in every exam, snapped on Mr. Malfoy. I wonder if what Lucius is ashamed of in this moment is that Draco is willing to admit in front of Borgen that Hermione beat him. This dirty laundry stays within the household kind of thing. Yeah, and he's willing to embarrass and like admonish his son as a gesture to Borgen. Like, I know that this is something to be ashamed of. Perhaps. I mean, my my reading of it was maybe a simpler one, which is just the fact that he's ashamed that a a muggle-born student is beating his pure-blooded son and that he shouldn't go moaning about teacher's favorites. It's not the teacher's fault. It's his fault that he hasn't lived up to the standards that a Malfoy should have of oneself. But whatever's going on, Lucius is willing to shame his son in public. We can just see how Draco is being formed in his upbringing. It's just so sad to see. And I just I do think that the public bit, regardless of how we're reading it, is important because there is a different stake as soon as somebody else is in the room. So even if Lucius isn't performing for Borgen, then that is a way of sort of shaming Borgen like you don't even exist. Right. You're a lower level employee of mine to whom I sell stuff. So we're just going to have this family spat in front of you. There's nothing worse than watching two people have an intimate fight in front of you. And so it's almost like he's treating him just like a servant who's invisible. I mean, again, the other thing that we have to say here is that Lucius is ashamed in this moment because because of Arthur's new diktats about who can own what kind of magical implements, he is having to go to a common shopkeeper in his mind to sell these family heirlooms, these great assets of a wizarding family. Like, he is so small that he has to hide and creep around the law because even the great house of Malfoy is no longer safe from the inspection from the Ministry of Magic. So he's coming in diminished, belittled, shamed. And that, I think, has to be impacting that he is so rude to Draco. We know Lucius says, you know, you've told me all this before. And I would like to think that if that's true, if Draco has said this, you know, many times to Lucius, Draco wouldn't keep saying it if Lucius was always responding so verbally violently to him. So I have to think that Lucius has been kinder to Draco up until this point about that. 
And this moment, he's in such a diminished state, as you said, that he just can't find the energy to be nice to Draco anymore. He's like, I can't handle it anymore. These muggle lovers and muggle-born people are just ruining everything. I have to sell my stuff. My son is losing to them. Like, what else do you want from me? That's super cool. I hadn't thought about that. That's a really interesting reading. Casper, now it's time for our weekly spiritual practice, and we will do Lectio Divina again this week. So the sentence that I just put my thumb on is, he saw Ron, and then he saw Harry. He started. Then he leapt to his feet and positively shouted, it can't be Harry Potter. Ooh, this is um, a tough sentence. It's what we've got to work with. Let's see what we can do. What gifts are waiting for us? (laughs) So the first level is to think narratively about this. So here we are in Flourish and Blots. It's the bookshop where, you know, everyone's buying their books. And there's this signing. Gilderoy Lockhart is signing his books. And he's just suddenly noticing that Harry is there. Yes. And the other thing that is happening is that he sees Ron first and then sort of passes over Ron and sees Harry. And that's when something registers for Gilderoy. Step two in Lectio Divina. What is happening allegorically here? He looked up. He saw Ron, and then he saw Harry. He stared. Then he leapt to his feet and positively shouted, It can't be Harry Potter. Ooh, what's what's happening for me allegorically is there's, you know, Gilderoy's looking up, he's waiting, and then he sees Harry. There's a sort of delay before this moment jumps up. And so I'm I'm thinking of stories where people have to work really hard for a long time before they get a break or where, you know, they have to wait a year and a day before someone comes back from a journey or, you know, that feeling of just not quite knowing that something is going to happen until suddenly it does. So I'm wondering if he's just been waiting for that moment in a way that we have to wait in many ways for big announcements to be made. I feel like, yeah, he's been looking for an opportunity to announce this news in a glamorous way. And Harry gives him that. So what does that remind you of kind of allegorically? What's interesting to me is that Ron has just asserted himself really beautifully in this moment. The Daily Prophet photographer is in the way and Ron sort of snaps at him and is like, who cares that you're with the Daily Prophet? And then as soon as he does that, Gilderoy Lockhart just dismisses him, just looks right over him. And so what it reminds me of are the moments in which Harry tries to assert himself at number four private drive and petunia just sort of looks over him and is like here have more bacon dudley when harry is so smart and funny with petunia and it just doesn't register and they just keep on going it's like no matter how much you're trying to call attention to yourself somebody doesn't see you that's what it reminds me of so casper step three of lectio divina what has this reminded you of in your life This is kind of an unusual memory to be stirred up for me. But in the text, it says, then he leapt to his feet and positively shouted, it can't be Harry Potter. And it reminds me of when my mom turned 40. My dad organized this surprise birthday party. But before that, he had invited her brothers to come from Holland and they were staying in a hotel nearby. And my dad took my mom to this hotel for a nice dinner. And there were these 
people reading the newspapers and they had little holes made in the newspapers through which they were reading. Um, and so they were kind of spying on my mom. And then they put the newspapers down at the same moment. And my mom must have just like leapt to her feet and shouted like, oh, my God, it can't be you. So, you know, although we're reading this in a way where Gilderoy is is definitely using Harry there might also be genuine delight. You know, who knows what relationship Gilderoy had to the years of war. You know, Harry does still represent this promise to wizarding society. And it made me think maybe Gilderoy has some genuine esteem and excitement about teaching this young student who has already done so much. How about you? What does this sentence? He looked up, he saw Ron, and then he saw Harry. He stared Then he leapt to his feet and positively shouted, it can't be Harry Potter. What does that remind you of? I empathize with Ron in this moment and that feeling when you're at a cocktail party or something and someone's just looking over your shoulder for the more important person to talk to. That feeling of wanting to be like, hey, I'm over here. You're in a conversation with me. There's no one better to talk to, you idiot. Right? That like moment of frustration and yet judgment and being embarrassed, you know, that's what I feel in this moment. I feel for Ron. And then finally, Vanessa, the fourth stage of Lectio is to think about what we are called to do by the text. Is there something that stands out to you, an action you're invited to take? Yeah, my mom had this rule when we were growing up. We were allowed to cancel plans if it was like you were feeling sad and wanted to stay home or something like that. But you were never allowed to cancel plans to upgrade your plans. So you couldn't say like, Casper, I'm sorry, I can't hang out with you. Somebody more popular wrote. And I just think that that's such a lovely lesson of, you know, you can honor who you are and the fact that you're having a mood, but everybody deserves the same respect and every event deserves the same respect. So you couldn't belittle one thing by prioritizing another. And I really, I love that lesson. I'm just called to remind myself of that. Thanks, Mom. Casper, I'll read it one more time for you, and then you can tell us what you've been called to. He looked up. He saw Ron, and then he saw Harry. He stared. Then he leapt to his feet and positively shouted, it can't be Harry Potter. So I have a wonderful colleague, and we've been in a shared office for a few months together now. And, you know, at the beginning, we were so excited to have an office and have a desk. And now it's the normal. And so what I'm really invited to do is kind of when she walks in, just to stand up and shout, oh, my God, it's you. (laughs) And just be like really happy to see her because, you know, I'm very lucky to have the situation that I do for my work. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Our voicemail this week comes from Carrie Kramer. Hey, Casper and Vanessa. My name is Carrie, and I have just finished listening to The Worst Birthday through the theme of disappointment. Casper, I had this whole intellectual thing planned, but instead, as per your advice, I'm going to be real. So, I'm actually separated from my husband right now, and as you might imagine, disappointment isn't quite strong enough of a word for that. So, while we were married, there were obviously many disappointments at that time as well, and one of the ways that I tried to deal with those was to adjust my expectations, and that's a really delicate process. You have to take into consideration what you deserve and what's right but also what is reasonable and consistent with the relationship at hand. So for Harry, in his relationship with the Dursleys, it's good and right for him to expect that they will treat him well because they're his family and they should love him. And, you know, he's a person, so there's at least that. But as he said, they treat him like a dog who has just rolled in something smelly. And although he deserves love from them, that expectation isn't consistent with that relationship. And so a lot of his disappointment stems from this, unfortunately, unreasonable expectation. Um, Now, by the end of the series, we see that Harry has come to terms with that. You know, he doesn't let that negative relationship define who he is, but he does let it shape him and he lets himself become a better person for it. So, When I am tempted to believe the lie that I'm not worthy of love or that I'm not loved or that this situation in my life defines who I am, I am reminded of Harry's story and the way that it reflects my own. And so that's how this chapter relates to my life. Um, Thank you guys so much for doing this. You guys are amazing and what you do matters. And I'm just so grateful to be part of the conversation. Take care. Carrie, thank you so much for such an open-hearted and honest voicemail. I can imagine that's not an easy thing to to share or talk about. So, yeah, thank you. And know that you and everyone, you know, all of us are loved and are worthy of love in exactly the way that you describe and in exactly the way that we see on the pages of these books. So thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing that. Carrie, I also think by being vulnerable and sharing that story, you've You've validated so many people's experiences. You are not alone in what you're feeling. And thank you for making us all feel less alone by sharing your story. Vanessa, after such a beautiful voicemail, what's the blessing that you have to offer this week? I would like to bless Molly Weasley for her thick skin. Molly carries a lot of the anxiety of the Weasley family. Although Arthur certainly knows the financial situation, it seems as though Molly is the one who's worried about how to balance the budget. And although Arthur certainly cares about all the kids, Molly is the one who's worried about their safety. And 
The family deals with her anxiety in a way that we often deal with other people's anxiety, which is belittling it, which I think is often well-intended. You're trying to say, like, oh, stop worrying. But she knows that if she doesn't worry, things will happen. She realizes that there are actual stakes involved in her children and in Harry and in her husband. And so I just, you know, want to bless Molly for not letting those comments get to her and going about her job of managing this household and being a mom to these children with so much self-respect. My blessing is for Hagrid, who we haven't really mentioned this chapter, but he does two really important things. When Harry lands in Nocturne Alley by mistake, he's the one who finds Harry and brings him back to safety. And when Arthur and Lucius are fighting, he's the one who breaks up the fight. And, you know, Hagrid paints a bit of a lonely figure in this chapter. He's on his own. He's having to buy slug repellent. It's not glamorous. It's not It's not easy. And so my blessing is for Hagrid and anyone who is feeling, you know, alone or isolated, who needs a little reminder that they, just like Carrie said, are loved and worthy of love and belong to the fabric of this wizarding and muggle world just as much as anyone else. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Next week, we'll read Chapter 5, The Whomping Willow, through the theme of responsibility. Don't forget to book your tickets to the live show, which you can find on our website, harrypottersacredtext.com. Also, please subscribe and review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. And follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook. And please email us voicemails with our new prompt at harrypottersacredtext at gmail.com. This episode was produced by Ariana Nedelman, Casper Terkyle, and Vanessa Zoltan. Our social media coordinator is Jen Stark. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Boll. And Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is part of the Panoply Network. You'll find ours and other great shows at panoply.fm. This week, we would like to thank Carrie Kramer for sending in our voicemail, Rebecca and Charlie Ludley, and Stephanie Paulsell. We'll see you next week. You know why I think you succeed? You're able to talk really, really quickly. I am. My nickname in elementary school is Motormouth. I competed in oratorical fairs, and I always had the right word count, but never the right time, because I would say things so quickly, and then I would get disqualified from state. I would get sent to state every year and then get disqualified for talking too fast. (laughs) Fact. That's amazing.